Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on the writing life, craft of life, writing, but also uh, video interviews with uh, best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. If uh, you're familiar with the Firefly Lane, now making its way around Netflix. I know it's pretty popular right now. Well, its author, uh, Kristen Hanna, she's my current uh, subject on Author Magazine. You can see where uh, you can watch us talk about, um, well, the writing life, about being a lawyer, about finding your voice. It's a great conversation. It's all up there, authormagazine.org. And we are funded by good people over at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn about their mini conferences, about their published author uh, contests, the Nancy Pearl Award, prestigious award, also their unpublished writer uh, contest we have every year. Uh, You can learn about it all over at pnwa.org. Or PNWA.org. Ah, speaking of, well, uh, well, actually, just speaking of writing, I've got, I'm teaching a workshop this Saturday, Fearless Writing. That's right. You've heard me talk about it on the show before. Uh, it's going to be a two-hour thing Saturday uh, during the day, and I'll be doing it virtually, of course. And, uh, you know, we're going to deal with the emotional challenges of writing, how to get through the blocks, how to find time. Uh, we're going to do that on Saturday. I'm also teaching Fearless Marketing the next week. If you want to sign up for both, if you want to sign up for just one, whatever you want. It's all over my website, williamcanower.com. So if you want to come over and be a part of the conversation, Fearless Writing, I'd love to see you. Check it out, williamcanower.com. You can sign up for it. Okay. Hey, today's a good one. Memoirist and screenwriter, essayist, Melissa Gold. Fascinating woman. Melissa is an award-winning screenwriter who wrote on such acclaimed TV series as Bill Nye the Science Guy, Party of Five, Beverly Hills 90210, and Lizzie McGuire. But her essays can be found in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, among other places. And her first book, oh, it's a good one, number one in a bunch of categories over on Amazon right now, Widowish, just out now. She's with us, and I'm happy to have her. Melissa. Melissa, how you doing? Hey, Bill. So nice to be here. Well, it's good to have you on. Congratulations on the book we were talking a little bit about beforehand. Obviously, not a book you ever wanted to write, would ever want to write, but you did. But you did. Um, But you did. And, you know, (laughs) we're going to get to that in a little bit because uh, I think writing can be a very healing experience for the writer that's my that's my been my experience mm-hmm. of it um but you are a writer you know a lot of people who write memoirs are not themselves writers like the memoir is their entree into writing but that was not the case with you at all right you were a writer before then um right was writing kind of always on your horizon or is that just something you found after college no no it was always something i mean i feel so lucky in a way in that I always knew I wanted to be a writer. 
Um, I think, you know, I was an avid reader as a kid, and I always assumed that I would be a novelist or, you know, ah, just of course. write right. books. Right. Um, but then I had a very brief stint in advertising, and then I began my career as a screenwriter, and I was there for many years um, doing that. But I always felt, like I said, lucky that I had this, um, like, you know, being a writer or wanting to write, it's really a big umbrella because there's yeah. so many avenues to, yeah. to write really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, my, my path is a little like twisty turny, but I always had direction and I was always so thankful for that, that I kind of knew I was like under this umbrella. I didn't know how it would emerge, but yeah, I've always made my, my living as a writer and I've always loved that I've been able to do that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like, um, it's interesting. I, I've had this conversation in a number of ways with a bunch of different writers, and it seems like one of the challenges sometimes is we put pressure on ourselves to write in a certain way, to succeed in a certain way. And it sounds like you had a loose enough, that you were flexible enough in, the, in, the, in what you would pursue that you could follow the opportunities that were both available and that were interesting to you. Because I, I, I say that as someone who had put some kind of had put barriers on himself for a while that I think hindered me. Like I have to be this. I wouldn't allow myself to think outside of a certain kind of box. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I definitely did that with um, being a screenwriter and being a TV writer. I mean, I was so Uh young and so driven and so ambitious. And I think I gave myself like the timeline of if I don't see an on-screen credit, you know, written by (laughs) Melissa Gould on TV, By the time I'm 25, I was wow. kind of like pack it in. 25. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Wow. I, like I said, I was young and ambitious, and and it happened. And, it did. and so I it I did, did have that on screen credit by the time I was 25, and that just set me on the path of of TV that I was on for many many years. How did you? Because I, I have friends who work in TV, and I thought I was in LA briefly because I thought I wanted to be a screenwriter. I, I, I did not, but I thought I might want to. Mm-hmm. And you know, television is such an unusual thing that if you don't know, you know, a lot of people, you, maybe you know someone, maybe you don't, but there's no one way in. You know, it's not like you get a no, law degree and then so go true. get a job. So how how did you find your way in? How did you get your work in front of people? Or, you, or wait, were you working as an assistant somewhere? To begin with, is yeah, that how I was started? an assistant. Yeah, I was an assistant at Walt Disney Television, okay. um, which in and of itself was a huge boost because that's yeah, how I met yeah. um, the Bill Nye, the Science Guy people. Right. Um, but at the time, you know, Bill Nye, I, I, I believe you're in Seattle, and I am. This was in the yes. 90s. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Bill was on that show almost live, which is yep, local I, or was oh, local yes. to Seattle. Yep. Yep, I watched yeah, it. So Bill was like this celebrity in Seattle, but nobody knew him the way they know him now. And when they yeah. were putting this show together, Bill Nye the Science Guy, like literally nobody knew what it was. <laughs> they kind yeah. of thought it was like for kids, maybe it was right. going to be like educational. But you know, it was like I was in the ground floor of this brand new quirky science show for kids. And I got that opportunity because I was an assistant in the kind of like right place, right time thing. But I also was prepared. You know, I always say that, um, you know, like, you know, I think it's Oprah Winfrey actually who says like luck is really when preparation and opportunity meet. 
Yeah. And I was prepared. By the time I, I met the producers on Bill Nye, you know, I had spec scripts like for every TV show that I ever found interesting. And you wow. know, every half hour spec wow. script, I had a one hour spec script. So right. I was ready. So yeah, like it was, it was a timing thing and, and it, it worked out to be great. I mean, I, yeah. I loved it, but I definitely set a limit on myself for that. And, um, and I haven't really done that since then. <laughs> right. Well, but you know, you, you, you saw it. You, it sounds like you, you understood that you liked that medium. You understood the medium. You had no, you know, sometimes people like, you know, you can have biases against film. You can, people can have biases against TV and they will do it, but I really want to be a novelist. Right. But you, you know, there's one thing to actually want to do the work and really like the work and believe in the work. And I would say be able to work in a writing room. Cause I assume that all these, that Bill Nye and party of five and all these had writing rooms. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you did scripts, but then it had right. to be subjected to the rest of everybody. Yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting, Bill, about being like a screenwriter. It's really, you know, what I came to find out was the actual writing of the script was um, such a small part of the job in a way because there was that dynamic of the writing room. And then there was always like the network that had to weigh in and the studio that had to weigh in. And yeah. so the actual writing in many ways was like the least of the job. I know that's like a crazy thing to say, but, but it is. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, well, so, okay. So you're, but you're, you're successful, you're hardworking, you're ambitious, you get married uh, sort of at the more or less time professional people get married you have a kid mm-hmm. and it's a good marriage by all accounts. Um, but the book is widowish and your husband passes away um, rather su- su- surprisingly, even though he had, a, he had MS, your anticipation was right. he would live, you know, a long time with it. Yeah. Even though he was 50, I think when he passed yeah, away. Yeah. I right? mean, yeah. I mean, multiple sclerosis, you know, we always called it a quality of life disease. It does not, yeah. um, Typically, it doesn't. It's not a death sentence when you get right. multiple sclerosis, but it affects your mobility, and right. it really affects everybody diagnosed with it in different ways. Right. Um, but for my husband, um, you know, it affected his mobility and his. Um, in some, it got. He he was living with it for many years and doing okay with it um, until he wasn't. Right. Um, but even that is not something like you know, he wasn't going to die from MS. He actually died of West Nile virus, which right. he contracted because his immune system was compromised because of the MS and because of right. the medications right. that he had been taking. Yeah. Right. But, lose, but his death was very unexpected yeah. and very surreal, which is what I write about in Widowish. Yeah. Yes. And, and I mean, it's called Widowish. And I think it's an interesting take you have because, of course, I've interviewed a lot of memoirs. I write it myself, and death is a co- is a common theme. People, uh, you know, having to adjust afterwards. But the word widow is such has mm-hmm. such an old lady feel to it. You know, it is such a sort of right. person sitting in her rocker with her gray hair and her life. But and it's sort of like, well, now how will I live these last years of my life? Kind of word to it. So it's an old word in that way. But obviously, that's not your case. Yeah. You had a thirteen year old daughter. You're still young. You're really right in the middle of your life, and right. that and that was the part of it that I it's that you focused on in the book and in your essays. Is that fair to say? Also, I haven't read your essays, so I can't say. But oh yeah, but yeah. Also, 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of widowers, first of all, like not to diminish like these older widows and widowers because their their grief is is just as meaningful, you know. But it is a different, it's more expected, I Uh, think, when you're, you know, a senior citizen. It's it's more expected. It's more the life's trajectory. Well, um, and let me just say quickly, but just just to add to that, my 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 wife's father passed away last year, and he was eighty four or five, I think. And I was we'd see him all the time, but we knew it was time to go. You know, he was like active right, right up until the end, but I could tell he was done. He wasn't unhealthy, right. but I could just tell he was really done with this. And when he passed away, it wasn't hard for her. Not for me, but not even for her, because she felt he needed to go, that he just wasn't happy being here anymore, which I think can happen to people at the end of their lives. So that's a very different kind of death. That's a very different kind of death. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, No, you're exactly right. And I I think that's why, like, when this happens at midlife and and also just the word widow, I felt like, you know, I, I very much felt I was still married to my husband. Right. And just because he died. Talk about that. What is that? Explain that to people who have not lost somebody, how you can still feel married. He's not there. You're not waking up next to him. Well, well, you know why? Because we were a happily married couple and we were a happy little family. And there was, um, you know, we were, I always say we, we loved each other, but we also really liked each other. And so the idea that my husband was no longer here meant I was suddenly no longer married to him was very hard to reconcile. Right. And so, you know, as I became a widow in the world um, and as a younger person, I felt like, you know, I didn't look like a widow yeah. and I didn't really act like a widow because, you know, I had our 13 year old daughter and I was still, I think you know, she's an only child. I became an only parent. Right. And so all of the right. responsibilities fell to me and I was out in the world, still going to the market, picking her up from school, do, like living my life. But people didn't know when they looked at me that, I had lost my husband and I sure. just felt very widow ish by, you know, yeah. I didn't look like widow. I didn't really act like widow, but I felt like a widow yeah. and I am a widow, but yeah. it was a hard thing to reconcile. And, and that's really in some ways the crux of the book. And, and also because the perception, like we're discussing what a widow is, what a widow looks like, you know, the, the public sure. perception and the way I was viewed as sort of the town widow, um, yeah. Right. It was an interesting time, you know, yeah. like it was yeah. an interesting time. And the town of, of course, I live in Los Angeles. I live in this, you know, it's a big city, but I live in a little yeah. neighborhood community right. and everybody right. kind of knows each other. Yeah. 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 You know, it's interesting. I, I was thinking again about your statement about still feeling like you're married and, you know, I've been married for, uh, I'll be coming up on 30 years now, I guess. And um, I feel like the marriage I learned, it's hard for me to picture who I would be without it. You know, it's been such an integral part of my life. And that must be true because even though he passed when you were only in your 40s, yeah, you were like 44 or 45. He was a few years older than you, right? I mean, the the marriage shaped you. It had, I mean, it's, it's like any experience, but it, the way you relate loving someone like that and being in a close relationship, it just shapes you in a way that like, going to war would shape you or starting a business would shape you. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were very much a couple and a pair, you know, and we were partners. And so feeling that, you know, I, I write about the presence of the absence and and also the absence of presence, 
you know, like they're, yeah. they both are with me at times. Yeah. I thought you did a beautiful job writing about the grief. Um, it was very moving. And um, I mean, you had written about it. It sounds like you first wrote essays about it. Was that when your first sort of forays into to venturing into the subject matter in the short form? Yeah, I mean, the truth is because I, I was a screenwriter and, and that was my job and that's what I did for, right. for many, many years, it never occurred to me to write about myself or to write right. in a way that was personal. Right. And so um, in the early days of my grief, a friend encouraged me to join her writing group. Yeah. And yeah. I did that. You know, at the time, I really just kind of forced myself to do anything, but I had a feeling that writing again would be a way back to myself. You know, like I was so bereft and so heartbroken, but I thought writing might be the thing to save me. And yeah. so I joined this writing group and I started working on a novel. You know, I was like, uh-huh. oh, I'm going to write this novel and I loved it. And a friend um, pulled me aside and, and she said, you know, I, I love what you're writing and the novel is great, but like your husband just died you're now an only parent and there's all this stuff going on in your life and you're not writing about any of it. Like right. I really think you should. And I was so thrown by that idea. I was like, why in the world would I ever write about myself? Like it had yeah. never occurred to me. It was never something I had done in the past. It wasn't yep. anything I was familiar with, but yep. I realized that maybe that is what I should be writing. And I did. I started writing these essays about what it was like to be widow-ish and to be right. the town widow and the things I was experiencing and the things people were saying to me. And that really is how I started writing about it. And I think you said earlier in the show, but writing has absolutely been the thing that has been the most healing in terms yeah. of my grief. Writing Talk about all of this has that. been... Why is that? Well, I think it was just a place for me to express what I was going through and my feelings about all of these things. And it was so authentic to to me and my experience that it was just the truth. And then what yeah. happened is people would ask me to read, you know, or they would ask me how I'm doing. And I'd say, oh, you know, I wrote this essay, I'll send it to you. And then people kept requesting more of my essays it was interesting it kind of happened organically and then that led to a blog I had at the Huffington Post and I just was publishing like all the time like probably once a week I was writing all of these essays and then I started pitching other outlets I was like you know I may as well I I just get my I was getting such tremendous feedback from people that somehow my story was really resonating and 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 not just to widows, but people who were going through a life change or yeah. people who were going through a divorce or experiencing grief of their own in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I, once I started writing about it, I couldn't stop. And I started pitching, you know, I was in the Washington Post and the Huffington Post I mentioned, and then the New York yeah. Times, I had an essay published and the LA Times. And then just this last week, I had something published in the Hollywood Reporter. And oh, nice. so I keep writing about this brief experience that I'm having and it it resonates for people and that also has been such a gift and the fact that writing about my husband and writing about this loss is really what keeps him close and present in my life and that's also amazing that's been an amazing gift yeah 
Well, in writing about our past, I write about my, I write essays all the time, and I've been doing it for years. And I've, I was a fiction writer, wrote comedy and sketches, and I, I never thought about writing about myself, and then I did, and it was the most natural mm-hmm. fit for me. And, and I find that to write about my own life, I have to look at it differently. So if I, I can't write about my painful experiences the same, I have to reframe them. I can't see them as as painful the way I saw them at the time. In order to tell it, I have to see the story differently. You know, it's not that I don't write about, I was in pain, but as the author, I can't, what I say is I can't agree with my character, the character named Bill. He was in pain, but I'm not. Does that make sense? Yeah. He didn't understand. Like, like Melissa, when, 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 when Joel dies, Melissa does not know she's going to meet somebody at that time. She doesn't know right. she's going to be like, cause one of the questions, one of the things you go through, which I think is so true, which is just, am I going to be okay? Whatever that means. Right. Am I going to be yeah. okay? And in the broadest well, sense. I, yeah. I mean, I think I started to act as if I would be like yes, that. I that was I your strategy. Fairly yeah. early on. Yeah. yeah. I just tried to act as if, things were okay as if I would survive this as if my daughter was going to be okay. I don't right. really, I can't even tell you what that means now, what that looks like, <laughs> but that's, that's what got me out of bed every day. I was like, okay, I'm going to act as if I can do this. Yeah. And, well, I and think somehow I did. Yeah. But that's, and that's, I think that one of the, for me, one of the gifts of writing about my own life again, is that the, my, my past self, he does not know how he, things are going to turn out. I do. He doesn't. And that's a lot of his pain, his belief about how things might go or won't go or what his value is. And I know the truth. And so it's easier for me to write about him. I don't know if you went through that when you wrote about yourself. No, because I was writing it in real time. Oh, oh, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't for me, though. Like, that's just how it all evolved. You know, yeah, yeah, that's just... That's what I mean, like it just came out in a very authentic way. Right. And so did someone approach you about, tell me about, actually, tell me about Amazon First Reads. Is that, what is, what is that? So so Amazon First Reads is Amazon editors choose from all of their new releases um, Ah, in every category and decide, and I hear they're very like, um, at times heated um, conversations amongst the editors and like the people are like fighting for their pick and this one, you know, and um, it's been great because it actually was sort of a month long preview. So the official release date for Widow Witch was February 1st, but it was available exclusively on Amazon for the entire month of January because it was Mm -hmm. in the Amazon first read pick. So that was just great for sales and for reviews and, it's number one, I think, you know, in large part because of that first reads program, it just, you know, then they do like a whole blast about it and they have designated pages for their first read picks and right. emails. And it was just a really wonderful, I didn't, you know, I knew that was happening, but I didn't realize how amazing it would be until I was actually in it. Right. Um, but so by the time the book came out in February, on February 1st, just a few weeks ago, it was already yeah. number one in grief and bereavement and in memoir and in a couple of categories. Um, That's great. In MS books. 
Yeah. yeah, and it's just been it's been holding strong in a lot of those places, and it's it's just been amazing. And we started to say though, like it is surreal that you know I always, as a kid, like I said, envisioned that I would write a book, or but yeah. about this is so it's just part of how surreal my life became when my husband yeah. died. And yeah. here we are talking about this book that I wrote, and it's a number one bestseller on Amazon, and it's all because my husband died. Like it is right. crazy. Yeah. Well, and I know, but, and I really know, like nobody but my husband would be as thrilled and as excited as I am course, about all of it. Of course, of course, yeah. what, he, he loved you. He wants you to thrive forever. What you know, he loved you. He want he was he was a fan of yours. It sounds like yeah, still is as far as yeah. I'm concerned. And so yeah, it, and I feel would, it. That's like the magic. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I worked with a woman who was writing. She was about your age, and she lost her husband. And I was helping her write her memoir. And she had so many experiences where the he she was like, I could just all these weird coincidences where she felt he was hanging around to the point where it almost got a little creepy. I think for her, as a matter of fact, because <laughs> she just was like owls would appear in her window and all this kind of thing. And she just thought, Oh my God, it's him. He's still hanging around. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, okay. So have you, I imagine with this kind of book, you've had quite a few conversations with people since it came out. Yeah. About, about oh, the yeah. subject, probably women too, I would imagine. Yeah. We've gone I, through it's, this. it's really, yeah, it sparked a conversation with all kinds of people, and it's just been it's been great. And like I said, these are the things that keep my husband close, and yeah. it's just it's all been amazing. Yeah. How do you like? Uh, I I mean, the thing is, you're not an expert. You're a person. I mean, I don't know what makes someone an expert on this, but now that you've written this book, you're going to find yourself in a position of talking to people and probably, I don't know, if not counseling, at least offering some comfort probably to people does that is has that been happening yeah for sure i mean i i will say that um you know sharing stories of grief and bearing witness to other people's experiences with grief um normalizes all of it it's a very yeah. it's a very weird culture when it comes to grief and loss and people get I very know. scared I know. and don't want to talk about it and people get freaked out and yeah. it really I mean, I could talk about it all day, and, and I have been <laughs> lately. But um, and it's it's definitely you know it's, these are sad stories, a lot of them. But sure. people survive, you know. And I think that's the important part of it is that you don't think you're going to get through. You have no idea how you're going to manage, and yeah. somehow we do. Yeah. And yeah. So, well, with yeah, the marriage, it's great to I mean, share the story. The person, when you when you when you love someone, you're with them all the time. Their absence just creates this vacuum of. I think we don't understand how much the relationship connects us to life and love and meaning and feeling connected to just what matters in life, essentially. And and just turning to them connects us to that. And I think it can create such a a vacuum because ultimately I think it can always come from within us, but it's hard to remember that when you have someone you can turn to all the time for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you yeah, found love connection. again. You still love your daughter. Yeah. You still love your work. You still love life, you know, but it's just so confusing without that person. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, Bill. It's like, I think my baseline is happy. 
yeah. in life. Yeah. So the trust that I would get back to that. I knew that yeah. everything I, while my husband's loss was permanent, right. the feelings around it would ease. I just yeah. trusted in that. But yeah, it would get I'm, easier and it has. Yeah, I remember when Cheryl Strayed I interviewed Cheryl Strayed after Wild and I remember what she said was really lovely. She said, um, I just because there was a lot her death of her mom is a big deal in that book Wild. So mm-hmm. it was sparks and all. Yeah. And she said, I, I realized my relationship to my mother had just changed, that's all. There's I still had a relationship. Oh, interesting. Yeah. This wasn't the same relationship I had before. I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that great. great. All right. Well, so people, uh, you know, this is the sort of book people are going to want to have you gather virtually in their living room to talk to you about. Are you open to the virtual book group uh, appearance? Yes, I have several. I have several lined up in March um, that I'm looking forward to. So, yes, I'm available for book club. All right. And if people want to contact you, Melissa Gould, where can they do that? Uh, well, my website is the best place to find me. It's widowish.com. And right. I am also on Instagram where I tend to post um, the latest widowish news. And that's Melissa Gould, um, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-G-O-U-L-D underscore author. Melissa Gould, author, underscore people. Okay, very good. Well, Melissa, I got, I got one more question for you. Uh, and here's what okay. I would like you to do. I would like you to finish this sentence. If writing, <laughs> all the different writing you've done in your life has taught you anything, it's taught you what? That our stories matter yeah. and are an amazing way to connect with people. Yeah. With humanity. I, uh, <laughs> what's that? Say again. With our our stories are a way to connect with humanity. Humanity, yes, I agree, Melissa. I agree. <laughs> well, Thank you're you. awesome. Congratulations on the book. Uh, I hope you get to hope you write more, and I hope you Thank get you. to get out there and and uh, have some great conversations with people. I think you're. I think you already have, and I think you're going to have more. That's what I think. Thanks so much, Bill. This was a great conversation. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Take it easy. All right. Bye. Bye. Yes. Yes. Stories do matter, people. They do. They do. Yes. So tell them. Tell the best one you can. Life is a story we're telling ourselves. I will be back again next week with uh, a novelist of some. I can't remember her name right now. She looks pretty interesting. I'll come to me. Until then, I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, R.J. And to all of you out there, go find something you love to do and do it.